This program, Escaping the Delta, was produced and first broadcast in 2005. It's still good. Hello, Georges Collinet. And Ned Sublet. With you on Afropop Worldwide from PRI, Public Radio International. Welcoming you to another episode of Hip Deep. Ideas about music, history, and culture in Africa and the African diaspora. Today, we talk with Elijah Wald. About his much-praised book, Escaping the Delta, Robert Johnson and the Invention of the Blues. And the companion CD to it called Back to the Crossroads, which showcases music by earlier blues artists that Robert Johnson drew on to make his songs. So let's kick it off with one of the legendary Robert Johnson recordings. June 19th, 1937, in Dallas, Texas. This is Hellhound on My Trail. Johnson with Hellhound on my trail. I know how he feels. Georges Collinet. And Ned Sublet. On Afropop Worldwide, today we're going hip deep. Escaping the Delta, a conversation with author Elijah Wald.
By the way, Ned, Elijah Wald, is he a musician or a writer? Let's ask him. Are you a musician? Are you a writer? What are you? Bit of both. I started out as a musician, and then I often say the only thing that could make you turn to freelance writing as a day job is having tried to make it as a musician first. What kind of responses have you been getting from the blues scholars and from the blues community about your book? A lot of people in like the rock press describe this as a very controversial book, but the blues scholar community is overwhelmingly supportive. And, you know, a lot of what I'm saying is stuff that's been being said by blues scholars among themselves for years. Just no one has done sort of a popular book pulling it all together and making it accessible. It seems to me like there's a common sense proposition behind this book. The blues, as it happened, was part of a vast continuum of popular music. We've isolated this little thing that we call blues. But black popular music has been a steady, evolving world. And blues wasn't even one period of that. It was one kind of song that a lot of professional musicians sang who were also singing a lot of other things. And just due to the accidents of what got recorded, when they went to Mississippi and found some singer who could sing all the latest Broadway hits and country western and blues, all they recorded was blues, and we remember these people as blues singers. Now, it wasn't entirely by accident. There was a shaping force in this, though, which was the producers and what they chose to record. It was a sound commercial choice. I mean, you had Bing Crosby and Sophie Tucker in New York to record I'm Coming Virginia. So the fact that a black guitarist in Mississippi could do that material wasn't really relevant. I woke up this morning, year round for my Whereas if you wanted to get something like Walking Blues by Sun House or by Robert Johnson, the best place to get that was the Mississippi Delta, and it made sense to focus on that there. There is something about the blues that made blues a separate genre of American music, which we've redefined as time has passed. has been a lot of separate things over the years. I mean, it first arrived as a pop style within black music, largely sung by women, largely sung in the vaudeville theaters and tent shows around the South. And they were these slow laments that someone like Ma Rainey or Bessie Smith might sing Darktown Strutter's Ball or Sweet Georgia Brown, and then they'd sing a blues. And that was the slow, sad song of the period. And then over the years, those people who specialized in that got to be thought of as blues singers. And then street guitarists like Blind Lemon Jefferson and Robert Johnson, who were doing a lot of that material, also got to be thought of as blues singers. And after a while, we started thinking of it as a genre. How do you account for the transformation of the image of blues 
from a popular music to a heritage music? Well, that's a long, long story, but it really started with people like Alan Lomax and John Hammond in the 1930s and 1940s who were talking about people's music and folk music, and they'd found the Appalachian ballads as sort of the examples of the white country folk tradition and wanted a black tradition that was similar to that, and they sort of chose blues for that job. Um, <laughs> which wasn't completely appropriate since blues was in fact a very new music at that point, unlike the Appalachian Ballads. But it did make sense because both of them were interested in songs that talked about what was happening in people's lives. And the white singers, if they were making up songs about current events, were making them up in the ballad tradition. And the black singers, by and large, the songs that were talking about what was happening in their world was blues. Then, of course, there was the transformation with the Rolling Stones, who seemed to be more than anyone else responsible for how we see the blues today. Oh, yeah. I think you can safely say that for most people today, blues was invented by the Rolling Stones. I mean, for most people, our idea of blues is this dangerous outlaw music by guys who, you know, they dress kind of grungy and they play loud and... It had satanic pacts. Had satanic pacts. You wouldn't want them to date your sister. And that's really the Rolling Stones image. The black blues singer image back when blues was popular were people in nice suits with pianos and it was a very different image. In the old days, everyone who was playing music played blues. You had guitar players on the streets, you had piano players in the bars, you had jazz bands in the theaters and the bigger dance halls, and they all played blues. The Count Basie band played blues and Robert Johnson played blues. But when rock and roll came in, you had this desire for roots. I mean, our idea about rock is that real rockers are the guys who, you know, come out of the countryside like Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, in a sense, the Rolling Stones. They haven't gone to music school and they're playing this grungy roots music. And if you go backwards from there, looking for where that came from, you go back to Muddy Waters and back from Muddy Waters to Robert Johnson and back from Robert Johnson to Charlie Patton. And that's completely true. It's just that blues back in 1920, they weren't looking forward to the Rolling Stones. And you could just as easily start with India Airy or someone like that and go back from there to Sam Cooke and go back from Sam Cooke to Nat King Cole and back from Nat King Cole to Leroy Carr and back from Leroy Carr to Jelly Roll Morton and W.C. Handy Band. And it's just as legitimate a history. You see, all of that music that we now call blues, it has roots in the South, it has roots that go back to the slave period, it has roots that go back to Africa. But if you interviewed anybody who was living in Mississippi in 1910 and 1920 and asked them when they first heard blues, at that time, those people, that generation, they did not talk about their parents in the fields or their grandparents. 
they talked about blues arriving on records by people like Bessie Smith and Ma Rainey. You talk to Sun House, who taught Robert Johnson. And he says, when I was growing up, wasn't nothing pertaining to no blues. Blues came in from the North on records. Now, that doesn't mean it didn't have lots of roots in the older music, but it was a new hot pop style. And you actually talk to older musicians down there. They talk about how blues ruined the nice old music, how we used to have all these pretty dance tunes, and then that blues came in and wiped it all out. Well, I tried to reach you right day by day. And I told a little boy, get out on your knees, pray boy, you're going to First album I ever bought was in 1959, I was eight, and it was A Date with Elvis, which was a collection of his early sides, which included Milk Cow Blues Boogie. I listened to that record over and over and over and over. Of course, I didn't know any other versions of the song. And it wasn't until I picked up the uh, companion CD, Back to the Crossroads, that goes with your book, that I became aware of the uh, 1934 Kokomo Arnold version. That's actually a perfect example of how people have forgotten what blues really was, because Kokomo Arnold was one guy with a slide guitar. He was raw, he was great. But his record, Milk Cow Blues, was so big that shortly you had a cover of it by Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys, and it stuck around for Elvis to be doing it. And if you're looking for the roots of Robert Johnson, he did more songs based directly on Milk Cow Blues than on anything else. Robert Johnson's one hit, which was Terraplane Blues. The whole form of the song is based right on Kokomo Arnold's Milk Cow. All in good morning And I said, Blues, I do you do? All in good morning I said blues, what do you do? No matter well this morning Can't get along with you I cannot do right, baby When you want to do right yourself I cannot do right, baby when you want to write yourself Lord, if my good gal quits me Well, I don't want nobody else Now you can read out your hymn book Preach out your Bible Fall down on your knees and pray Dear good Lord, I help you Cause you gon' need You gon' need my help someday Mama if you can't quit your sinning please quit your low down way Says I woke up this morning and I looked out those Says I know my mammy's milk I put it Mama Lord but I wish you Lord Lord if you see my milk I put it I said please drive her home Said I ain't had no milk in butter, mama. Lord, since my cow been gone. 
Says my blues fell this morning And my love come falling down Says my blues fell this morning And my love come falling down Says I be your Lord I'm dog mama But please don't dog me around It's a rockin' chair to rock, mama, a rubber ball to roll. Takes a little tease and brown pudding, mama, just to pacify my soul. Lord, I don't feel welcome. Please, no place I go. Hard a little woman I love, mama, have done drove me from a door.
All right, Robert Johnson, Terraplane Blues, a song about a high-class ride. And those of you who weren't around in the 1930s, and that includes me, may not remember the Terraplane, but it was a very slick car. And before that, Kokomo Arnold from 1934 with Milk Cow Blues, a song that served as a model for Terraplane Blues. More to come. Don't go away. I'm Georges Collinet, and you're listening to Afropop Worldwide from PRI. Public Radio International. with Ned Sublette talking with Elijah Ward about ideas in his book, Escaping the Delta. The subtitle of the book is Robert Johnson and the Invention of the Blues. So Robert Johnson's in the subtitle and his pictures on the cover of both the book and the companion CD. Ned, what I think is so strange about all this is that Robert Johnson was a very minor figure in blues history, almost completely forgotten until the 1960s. So the question for Elijah is, why Robert Johnson? Well, there are a few different things that made me choose Robert Johnson to be the center of this book. One of them is simply he's the only person most people today have heard of out of that whole blues world of the 1920s and 30s. So it's a natural way to bring people into that. But also, he's the first major figure in blues who himself learned everything off of records. I mean, most of what we hear in Robert Johnson is not what we learned from the people in his neighborhood. They're just a handful of songs like that. Mostly, he's sitting down with records, learning guitar licks, learning vocal styles, picking up lyrics. And that means that when you listen to his work, it's like a perfect entryway, a perfect path into all the music that made up the blues scene of his day. The other thing about Robert Johnson that's interesting to me is this weird fact that now he is the most famous blues artist of the 1930s, and in the 1930s he had almost no success whatsoever. His work really shows the difference between what the black blues audience was hearing in this music in 1936 and what the largely white blues audience of the 21st century is looking for. Robert Johnson is the central figure in the mythology of the blues as it came to be concretized in the, really in the 1960s, no? Yeah, Robert Johnson became sort of the emblematic blues man in part because of the music, which is spectacular, in part because of the variety of what he did, which is quite unusual for somebody who was just recording singles back at that time, and in part because of the image, the whole idea of this brilliant young guy who sold his soul to the devil at the crossroads, did two great recording sessions, and then was killed by a jealous husband before he was 30. In 
1961, there were virtually no early blues records available. And those few were on tiny little collector labels that you couldn't find anywhere. And then Columbia Records brought out this album called King of the Delta Blues Singers of Robert Johnson, and it changed a lot of people's lives. I went down to the crossroads, tried to pack it right. Down to the crossroads, tried to pack it right. Eric Clapton, Keith Richards, still talk about the first time they heard that record. Bob Dylan learned how to write listening to that, and Eric Clapton learned how to play guitar. So Robert Johnson's influence in the 60s and from then on stems from that record and is immense. Now, you've compiled a number of tracks that hardly anybody today has ever heard of, of people who were better known than Robert Johnson in those days, that show how Robert Johnson developed his repertoire out of other people's music. I'm looking at uh, Leroy Carr. You mean mistreating mama And you don't mean me no good You mean mistreating mama And you don't mean me no good Leroy Carr very simply was the most influential male blues singer of the first half of the 20th century. It's interesting that he's not better remembered today. Nobody knows Leroy Carr today. Both Howling Wolf and Muddy Waters said that the first song they ever learned to sing was Leroy Carr's How Long, How Long Blues. The Count Basie band covered him. The Ink Spots covered him. Ray Charles started out doing Leroy Carr. Sam Cooke did Leroy Carr. He simply was the dominant blues singer of the black entertainment world. He was a piano player, and he worked with a guitar player named Scrapper Blackwell. And he was capable of singing pop music. He recorded an Irving Berlin tune and some things like that. But his specialty were these slow blues ballads, the beautiful evocative lyrics, something like In the Evening When the Sun Goes Down, which Robert Johnson took as the pattern for Love in Vain. And it's interesting, because it's not just that he took the tune, Johnson took this verse that Leroy Carr had in there where he just sort of moans rather than singing words. And Johnson exactly replicated it, though coming from a rural Mississippi tradition, I think Johnson injected more passion into it than Carr did. But you listen to it and he's just clearly sounding like Leroy Carr. Here's Leroy Carr's When the Sun Goes Down, and then we'll hear what Robert Johnson made of it. When the sun goes down In the evening Baby, when the sun goes down Well, ain't it lonesome, ain't it lonesome, baby When your lover's not around When the sun goes down Last night, I laid a sleeping I was thinking to myself Last night I laid a sleeping I was thinking to myself 
one that you love will mistreat you for someone else when the sun goes down. The sun rises in the east and it sets up in the west. The sun rises in the east, mama, and it sets in the west. Hard to tell which one will treat you the best when the sun goes down.
Oh, beautiful. Robert Johnson with the classic Love in Vain. Georges Collinet. And Ned Sublet. And we're talking to author Elijah Wald. Here on Afropop Worldwide's Hip Deep with Escaping the Delta. Elijah assembled a whole bunch of sources that Robert Johnson pulled his music together from. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of how English literature scholars pull together all the sources that Shakespeare used to write his plays. And I have to admit, before Elijah did this, I had never listened to Petey Wheatstraw. Petey Wheatstraw is an interesting one. He was, I think, the source of Robert Johnson's few songs about the devil, because Petey Wheatstraw advertised himself as Petey Wheatstraw, the devil's son-in-law, the high sheriff from hell. Just as these days with rap, that was a very potent, sexy sort of image. But if you listen to Robert Johnson singing, these days, if someone wants to make fun of Robert Johnson, they'll do this sort of, who will, will. And that's Petey Wheatstraw. And Robert Johnson indeed mimicked that absolutely perfectly. You know, it's sort of an interesting example of how differently people heard Robert Johnson in his own time and the way they hear him today. Because Petey Wheatstraw was one of the biggest stars in blues. By 1935 or 36, he was probably the best-selling blues singer in America. So when Robert Johnson did that ooh well well on his records, Every single person who was hearing him knew that he was doing Petey Wheatstraw. But none of us today make that association. Petey Wheatstraw's King of Spades turned into Robert Johnson's Little Queen of Spades, which was just a direct answer song, just like they keep doing in pop music today. takes on over me I am the king of speed and the women takes on over me I know when I lay my racket my bell I'm sweet as I can be She 
got a weight trimming down. He's fair brown, and I mean it's most too tough. Now that girl says I'm in the king. Baby, and you is a queen. Put our heads together Who fair brown Then we can make our money green Robert Johnson with Lil Queen of Spades Georges Collinet with you On Afropop Worldwide's Hip Deep Listening to the hip blues guys From back in the day That Robert Johnson took his inspiration from And no one was more important Than Lonnie Johnson Lonnie Johnson was the greatest guitar player in the blues era, and Robert Johnson's particular hero. Robert Johnson did two songs, uh, Malted Milk and Drunken Hearted Man, where he is playing exactly uh, Lonnie Johnson's guitar part from Lifesaver Blues, but he also is trying to sing exactly like Lonnie Johnson. He clearly really loved Johnson, and that was not unusual. Lonnie Johnson was a superstar. And interestingly enough, also the father of jazz guitar. I mean, Lonnie Johnson played and sang blues, but he also played with the Louis Armstrong Band. He played with the Duke Ellington Orchestra. And for someone like Robert Johnson, who was a young guy growing up in Mississippi, but with ideas of becoming a musical star, that was the dream. The dream wasn't to play down and dirty slide guitar like Sun House, who had never got beyond the Mississippi juke joints. The dream was to be Lonnie Johnson and a huge national star in a nice suit. So here's Lonnie Johnson with Lifesaver Blues. It's raining and storming on the sea We're miles and miles from shore It's raining and storming on the sea We're miles and miles from shore The way the waves is rocking this ship We won't see home no more The wind is so strong Turning this old ship round and round This wave is so strong Turning this old ship round and round Something tells me Won't be long before we're sinking down The captain say Get your lifesavers Fasten them around your waist Captain say, get your lifesavers and fasten them around your wheels. Because we're sinking down and the lifeboat is your safest place. And we floated all night long in the snow, lost miles and miles from shore. And the water was freezing And the rain began to pour 
say, girls and boys, let's pray, cause we won't see home no Malted Milk by Robert Johnson. And before that, Lonnie Johnson with Lifesaver Blues. I'm Georges Collinet. And I'm Ned Sublet. And we're escaping the Delta, shining a flashlight into the closet of blues history with author Elijah Wald. A lot of the interesting stuff of doing a book like this is just becoming conscious of how little we know. And you constantly find little reminders of the fact that the people you're studying were living in a world, a lot of which you don't have. So, for example, the song from Four Until Late, 
which I associated in the book with Blind Blake, who was a very popular blues guitarist at that time. And that's the association pretty much all blues scholars have made. After the book came out, somebody suddenly pulled up this recording of a song called Four O'Clock Blues, recorded by a Memphis trumpet player named Johnny Dunn in 1922, so 15 years before Robert Johnson recorded From Four Till Late. And it's clearly the same song. around Memphis, they were doing this song that Robert Johnson recorded as From Four Till Late, and we just didn't happen to hear it. We aren't in Memphis. But if you listen to Johnny Dunn's version from 22, it's clearly the same song. From four till late, I was wringing my hands and crying. From four till late, I was wringing my hands and crying. I believe to my soul that your dad is bound. You came in with a work song that you found. It's a song that was recorded in Mississippi on Parchment State Penitentiary in the 1940s, and they call it uh, Makes a Long Time Man Feel Bad. And its second verse is very clearly from the same verses that Robert Johnson used in his song, Last Fair Deal Gone Down. And, you know, you can listen to those back to back, and clearly Robert Johnson is coming from the same tradition as these guys singing the work song. Clearly, it's related to what we think of as a white hillbilly tune called Don't Let Your Deal Go Down. down. 
of this music was in the same area at the same time. And trying to pretend that it all moved in one direction, as if it started as a work song and then became a blues song with Robert Johnson and then became a hillbilly song, isn't really right. I mean, it was part of the common language and the same guys who were working at that work song. Their fathers were mostly fiddlers if they played music and they were playing square dances. To read the full interview with Elijah Wald, to see rare historic photos, and to get more information about the music you're hearing today, visit our website, afropop.org. More to come, don't go away. Georges Collinet with you on Afropop Worldwide from PRI, Public Radio International. Funding for Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities, the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great arts. And PRI, Public Radio International, affiliate stations around the U.S. And thank you for supporting your public radio station. Listen to the Mississippi Sheiks, who were the most popular band in the Mississippi Delta in the Delta Blues days, and they were led by a fiddle player named Lonnie Chapman. And they did a song called Sitting on Top of the World, which was so popular that it was recorded by white hillbilly bands, by Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys, and by Howlin' Wolf in an electric hit, and which Robert Johnson turns into Come On in My Kitchen. Get me a woman, quick as you get a man. 
But now she's gone I don't worry I'm sitting on top of the Come on in my kitchen. Baby. 
Robert Johnson with Come On In My Kitchen on Afropop Worldwide's Hip Deep. And before that, from 1930, the Mississippi Sheiks. When the pimp's in the crib, ma, drop it like it's hot, drop it like it's hot, drop it like it's hot. When the pigs try to get at you, park it like it's hot, park it like it's hot, park it like it's hot. And if a nigga get an attitude, if you want to understand what blues was in the 20s and 30s, The ways to do that is to think about these days and rap music. It's like rap. I mean, rap has as deep folk roots as any music could possibly have. And yet we're really conscious of the fact that when we listen to Snoop Dogg, he isn't some backcountry folk singer. And that's exactly what blues was in 1930. It was a deeply rooted music, but it was also the hippest sound of its time. Well, Elijah, it's been great talking to you today. Well, thank you very much for having me. And Georges Collinet, thank you for having us. And thank you, Ned Sublet and Elijah Wald. Don't forget, go to www.afropop.org to see more info about Elijah Wald and his book and CD. Remember, you can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at AfropopWW. My Afropop partner is Sean Barlow. Sean produces our program for World Music Productions. Research and production for this program by Ned Sublet. Our chief audio engineer and co-producer is Michael Jones. Benning Air edits our website, afropop.org. Our producer for new media is Satane Ophiadja. And I'm Georges Collinet. Public Radio International.